it's a, it's a pleasure to be in dialogue with the both of you. Thank you so much for getting that set up. Cool. I was wondering, yeah, I think this issue that you're bringing up about Ro Khanna being quietly mentioned, or I guess not so quietly now that it's in the news, as Bernie Sanders' successor from some insiders in the party, I think it shows that there's a very um, meager effort for like a legitimate person to go beyond Bernie Sanders in a more progressive, more left-wing direction if Ro Khan is the best. I don't know if you saw this as well, but on the 8th of uh, March 2022, uh, Hillary Clinton was endorsing Ro Khan's book. And, you know, just because someone endorses you who uh, has terrible political position doesn't necessarily mean the context of what you you have is bad, but definitely it's a very bad sign when Hillary Clinton feels so comfortable with it. I think it really goes to your point that uh, since the Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton find Rokan is so palatable, it means that in their political calculations, they view him not to be the same type of threat that, for instance, Hillary Clinton definitely found Bernie Sanders to be. Granted, Bernie Sanders still definitely does capitulate to Joe Biden as we saw with his interview with Crystal Ball when he was not ready to critique Biden seriously, even though that was quite the platform to do so in a good faith discussion with one of his pretty big supporters in the media. Um, And I think it really does show that there's not a serious effort from even Ro Khanna and so on, who are supposedly among the most progressive members of the United States Congress, to critically re-examine the failures of the Bernie Sanders campaign uh, towards the end of 2020 and actively like with the failures of the progressive caucus, Uh, because there are definitely, uh, there's definitely introspection to be done and there's definitely improvements to be made if they were serious about it, if, if that's something they wanted, but um, it doesn't seem to be the case. I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah. So my thought about this is it seems very strange to me because right now Rokana is to the right of Bernie Sanders. So I, yeah, I don't really like, understand. Yeah, I don't really understand out of all of the people, why would they ask him? It just seems, again, I think this just points to the fact that the Democratic Party is moving further and further to the right. And this this is a problem. And so when I see people on Fox News say that the Democrats are losing in these states because they're moving further and further to the left, they can never point to one single policy that Democrats have implemented that says we're moving further and further to the left. I haven't seen one policy. I haven't seen them do anything for student loan debt. There's no Medicare for all. I've seen Joe Biden give the military more money. I've seen him give corporations more money. And he continued some of the things that Donald Trump did. So it's just obvious to me. I feel like the Democratic Party has decided that they're going to move further and further to the right. And anybody who comes into that party as a progressive, as a leftist, they are going to have a difficult time. They are going to struggle and they're not going to let those people, you know, get what they want. And even though I don't feel like progressives in Congress are really fighting for us right now anyway, anybody who really does come in there and really does try to fight, they're not going to let them do it. They're either going to try to push them out or they're going to tell them, look, this is the way the party works. You either go with the party or they're going to like shun them. I've heard some stories come out of D.C. They're either going to shun them or they will pick someone to run against them. They will primary challenge someone in their own party just to get them out. And I think AOC knows that. So she knows how to play the game. 
I think the only person that may be struggling with that right now is Corey Bush, because she seems to be the only one still standing by defund the police. So it's just really strange to me that out of all the people, they would pick Rokana, who has been heavily ridiculed, ridiculed last year for not holding the line. He's been ridiculed recently in that interview with Max Blumenthal when Max Blumenthal pointed out that he was supposed to be anti-war. And then he listed all these different examples of, well, I'm anti-war except for this, 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 and this. So it's just incredibly disappointing. I don't understand why they would go for Rokana out of all people. He's not well-liked. That's just, that's just my opinion. I think what you what you said about uh, Ro Khanna being to the right of Bernie, I mean, I think one of the clearest examples of that is there's a tweet from May 16, 2019 by Ro Khanna, which he says, quote, I am for progressive capitalism, fair free enterprise that rewards work and innovation, not some of the privilege or connected few, end quote. He sh- I don't understand. With that type of statement, I don't know how Ro Khanna climbed to the top of Bernie Sanders' campaign in 2020. That he should have been on Elizabeth Warren's campaign. That's what she said, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, on the debate stage with Bernie. Bernie was the one who said, like, I'm not comfortable calling myself. She said, I consider myself a capitalist, if I'm not mistaken. Bernie Sanders never said that he always, when he gets pressured, he'll say he's a democratic socialist. So I don't understand why, how Ro Khanna was able to use political chicanery to be able to get his way so up top. Because, yeah, you're right. He definitely is on many issues to the right of Bernie Sanders. Um, and so that's it's kind of strange for me that that's the case. Um, and I, I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Yeah. And another thing I think we need to keep in mind too, is that remember when Bernie Sanders was running in 2020, he said, yes, I am a democratic socialist. And he, he denounced capitalism actually when he was running in 2020 and Elizabeth Warren was the one that reminded us, Hey, I am a capitalist. And she said that if if that was something to brag about for some reason, Mm -hmm. but she said that and Bernie Sanders didn't. So I do want to remind everyone, Ro Khanna is still a capitalist and you should look up all of his donors on open secrets. He takes money from big pharma. So how is he going to say he's from Medicare for all, which he tweets about often, but he's taking money from big pharma. So that to me just tells me like, this is just, it's just a grift kind of thing for him. I don't think he's really serious about it. Plus his wife, takes money from those industries as well. So this is very, this is very concerning. I don't think this is somebody that they should be trying to push. I think this is a slap in the face to people who are progressives, to people who are leftists. How do you go from Bernie Sanders to Rokana? It's just so interesting to me because like, obviously if he wanted someone that was in his camp, who was more left-wing than him, more progressive than him, he would go for Nina Turner or Cornel West, but I don't think he's interested in, in pursuing something politically. And But what's interesting about Ro Khan is, despite his pretty poor positions and his ability to be, um, you know, pretty milquetoast sometimes when, when, when the pressure comes, um, he's so willing, impressively, to go on and get grilled on different uh, left-wing media, whatever ecosystem exists right now whether that's Jimmy Dores or others. Um, and th- that's kind of interesting to me because many of them, like AOC, when she was offered a debate opportunity with Marjorie Taylor Greene or Ben Shapiro, she just refuses right away. I don't know why. She could definitely use that to show how poor the other people's positions are, even if AOC has some weaknesses. But she could definitely use that to expose Ben Shapiro, to expose Marjorie Taylor Greene, to get more people in the political process, draw them in the political process, and have substantive points to make. But she doesn't want to do it. But Ro Khanna looks like he's always 
looking for these left wing opportunities. So that's another curious thing for me. Mm. Well, well said. Okay. Uh, thanks so much for your call, Kusha. I'm actually going to go ahead to the next caller. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. All right. I'm going to take the next caller, which is Mitchell. Okay, Mitchell, you'll just need to unmute. No. Hello? Hello? Did it work? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Yeah, I I was a precinct chair in uh, 20, 2016, and uh, I was supposed to be one in 2020 in Iowa. So I was very involved with the caucuses. I was one of the more involved people in my county, went to other counties to help, uh, and I was involved with the Bernie uh, Sanders campaign. And um, I saw completely differently. And we had a really wonderful person who really kicked the ball off and really made everything possible for Bernie. And her name was Misty Rebick. And both times when it became likely that Bernie was really kicking everybody else to the curb, uh, uh, Misty was replaced by somebody from the Democratic Party or control was turned over to either I forgot his name, Weaver or something. Uh, and then the second second time, instead of Weaver, I felt like, uh, being, I don't know if you remember how it was going in 2019. Bernie was really on the roll. And then all of a yeah. sudden they decided that, okay, we need to put Ro Khanna and Nina Turner in as co-chairs and uh, no longer um, uh, had Misty uh, running the ball. And you could see a slowdown in it. And I attended a lot of events with Rokana, spoke with him on, on multiple times. Every time I got the idea that it felt like he was trying to slow down the operation, not speed it up. Uh, and uh, with, oh, sorry. Are you, are you able to hear me? Okay. Oh, no, go ahead. I was just saying, I was just saying, interesting. Go ahead. So I considered him more of a, a, a campaign bone anchor, just like, uh, this guy named Weaver, if he gets put on a campaign, uh, basically a sign there, who knows what kind of deals are done in the back rooms, saying if you want to be a candidate, you got to take this guy as as your um, uh, campaign controller in order to get uh, Democratic Party funds. Not that Bernie got many funds and uh, often things worked against, but you really have to go back to, to Iowa itself. Um, we had to go through training on how to be a precinct chair. And the precinct chair actually decides who wins. Uh, they can override anything at the end. The, pro the power of the precinct chair is left vague, especially for one rule. If there's a tie, if you'll remember, Hillary Clinton won Iowa because she won all six ties in 2016. Uh, the rule for, uh, for a tie is if it's a tie, it has to be a coin toss. And, and that's how it goes in the public. And they're very careful to say, in order to prevent us from getting a lawsuit, you must cost a coin. The next, the next thing in the training is, but we purposely do not define what a win is for a coin toss. And we have a statement in there that the win is to totally up to the decision of the precinct chair. And then they pull aside what they don't say on the, on the, on the news articles or whatever. They go, we expect you to throw all ties to the party candidate. And 
And so two of us complained and were immediately removed as, as precinct chairs. What? So then I was, I was demoted to precinct secretary. And then uh, as precinct secretary, my only goal was to ensure that the caucus counts were, were done correctly. So uh, in it, um, we, had, we had a lot of candidates. So we had a, a, a theater in a high school divided up, and we had to go around the different parts of the school. <laughs> so we'd say, these rows are for the uh, Warren voters. These are for the Budapest voters. These are for, um, and we said, try to get into groups so we can get an initial count. And we're supposed to do, we're supposed to do uh, multiple counts. So in the first count, uh, you had to have a certain number of votes. I believe it was 15 or so to go on to the second count. And um, a bunch of um, Warren voters got up and came over to the Bernie group because they were upset that they were told that if they if they did not get enough numbers. So we at that point in time, you have the option to go out to anybody who has not um, picked a party to try to talk them into joining yours to get the extra numbers. So there's a second vote right after that. But the, on the first one, there was a deal between the Buttigieg people and the Warren people. Whoever had the least numbers in the precinct would go to the other one to prevent Bernie from having enough people. And the, uh, some of the Warren people thought that just was not democratic, and they came over to the Bernie group. <laughs> so I became the Bernie delegate. And then when the Bernie, when, when the, see, we have a caucus, then a primary. So the primary is done by the, by the delegates. And so when we had the county primary, I was, I was called up and told uh, to drop being a Bernie Democrat, become either a Biden or a Buttigieg, or leave the Democratic Party. And so now I'm trying to find a party. <laughs> but uh, back into the more of it, the, the term would be throwing a bone. And I believe what's happening is, is this opportunity to run for president is payment to Rokana for his uh, efforts to help uh, uh, hold back the Bernie campaign. Wow, this is news to me. Uh, Nina Turner? Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to ask, uh, have you told anyone else about this? I've told a bunch of different Bernie people. I really don't want to have my house firebombed. <laughs> But uh, oh a large God. number of Bernie delegates got the same phone call. And uh, uh, the ones that didn't get the call were offered jobs by uh, a certain New York media person to help the, the Biden campaign, even though the other guy was a, a campaigning for his own presidency somewhere else. So, uh, and so uh, the whole thing just left me very, very upset with the Democratic Party. And, um, but uh, Nina Turner, um, a lot of people in other states do not realize that there are a lot of white people, or not, there are a lot of black people in Iowa, but they're mostly in the cities. So most of our precincts, precinct by precinct, are, are majority white. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying 100%, but majority. And what happened was Nina Turner, we really only got to see her at events where they wanted, uh, we wanted it to look, or not, we, uh, it appeared to be more like they wanted it to look more 
like there was more participation uh, and support for black members of the Democratic Party than there really was. So like wow. Waterloo, Iowa has, is almost, I think, 30 or 40 percent black, which is higher than the national average. And so every opportunity, if, if they did something, Nina would be there. But if it was to uh, any other area, they'd send Roe. And um, so, uh, and again, you know, it's just like, like with some operations, if you don't want scrutiny, you can order some type of military equipment by buying a whole bunch of cereal for, you know, a 20-year contract to sell cereal instead of uh, paying for whatever you need to not have on the books. And I just look at it the same thing. It was just, this was just throwing a bone. And I view Kamala Harris the same thing. So listen to this, Mitchell. Elvin Brown just said that's why Simone Sanders sold out the Progressive Party for a job with Biden. Yeah, I I believe that, too. I I believe that they just peppered Bernie Sanders with all kinds of uh, boat anchors and um, poison pills. Wow. This is crazy. Well, Mitchell, thank you so much for that. I want to go ahead and get to the next caller, but that was really interesting to hear. Uh, That does explain a lot. Um, But thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead to Eric. All right. Eric, you are now the next caller. Hey, so I got to say, when I first heard this, um, this whole thing about Rokana running for president, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I, I literally thought somebody was just joking. I'm like, no. And then you go, ch- and I go check, and I'm like, this is really real. <laughs> and I get the Democrats don't care. They don't want to, they obviously don't want to win, but damn, Rose trash. He's just, he's just terrible. And just hearing what just hearing what Mitchell said, like about the shadiness and all the and all the and all the bullshit with the with the Democratic Party. This is why this is why we need another party. This is why we need stuff like the third party summit going. And damn, I I, I don't even know what else what else to really say. I mean Well, let, let me just say this really quick, Eric, because this goes back to a point that, you know, Fiorella Isabel was is very vocal about this. Uh, she's come on my show and she's talked about this. She's talked about it on Convo Couch. We don't have a fair process in this country. All of you on this call just heard what Mitchell just said. Yeah. It's not fair. It's not a fair process. So if you don't have a fair process, how do you know? that the people that you are voting for, how do you know it's actually even being counted correctly? How do you know? You don't. You just don't. <laughs> um, I mean, that, that's, that's really why, like, running in these two parties is pointless. It, it's, there, there needs to be some other, like, some real groundswell, some real mutual aid, some like, you know, outside of the two-party system. 
actual mm-hmm. mutual aid, actual stru- actual structures outside of the system that can actually fight against the system at least. Like, right. I mean, that's why that's that's kind of why, like, I guess local elections would be the only plausible elections. But then right. local, local can only go so far, and it's just damn. Well, let's talk about that for a second because I do want people to focus more on what they can do uh, locally instead of focusing so much on uh, the federal level. And what I mean by that is not tomorrow, but next Saturday, I'm actually having a ballot initiatives panel on this show. It's going to be me and a couple other people that all live in states that have ballot initiatives. And we're going to talk to you about how you can get things done on the local level. So things that we've accomplished here in Massachusetts include legalizing marijuana, uh, legalizing gay marriage. Uh, There's other things, too, that I don't remember right off the top of my head. But one of them had to deal with the automobile industry, uh, right to repair. That's actually an important law. My husband can explain that better than me. It has to deal with automobiles. But um, I think... That is one of the ways that we can get things done on the state level. And then, of course, the question is, well, what happens if you live in a state that doesn't have ballot initiatives? Totally get that. But the idea is that the states that do have ballot initiatives, once they pass those uh, legislation, once they pass on, on the ballot, that actually will put pressure on the states that surround the ballot initiative states. That's how it's supposed to work. That's how it works here in New England. Usually if Massachusetts passed something, our surrounding states, New Hampshire, Vermont, Maine, they're usually right behind us. So right now, there is a New York Health Act in the state of New York that they're trying to get passed. According to to what Roger Meadows told me, apparently with that Health Act, if you live in New Jersey, but you still work in New York, you would still be under, you have the opportunity to be under the New York Health Act. If that passes, that is going to be huge. So this is the idea, you guys. We need to look more on the local level and see if you notice the mainstream media distracts us from that. They don't really want us to focus on local politics as much. Why do you think every time you turn on the TV, you hear more about Joe Biden, Kamala Harris? Uh, When Trump was in office, it was Trump, Trump, Trump. They talk a lot about the presidential campaigns. They'll talk about who's running for Congress, who's running for Senate. But they don't focus as much on these local these local elections. You know, most of the people I talk to here in Massachusetts don't know who their city councilors are. That's actually not uncommon. People don't it's, know. They don't want you to know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. Really, Go ahead. I mean, I shouldn't say that's embarrassing. Like, it, it's true. It's true where I'm at in Florida too. Um, I had to show my students who their city council people were. And I'm not expecting them to know, but I'm like, well, at least you learned something else that you didn't learn in your history class. Uh, but yeah, it, I guess I I guess in my area specifically, I do I do worry about engagement, um, and I, I don't know. It's just it's engagement is an issue too. It's just, it's just like a lot of the like younger voters that can vote don't want to, and yeah, and I understand, I understand where they're coming from. Um, 
it's it's just it's just that like at least locally it's just a lot of we have a lot of older people at city council and so that's just constantly what's shown or like it, it I don't know it just feels like you have a bunch of just old heads in city council or in the mayor's office and nothing's really being built politically for the community itself I, I don't know if you got you kind of get what I'm what I'm you gotta catch my point or not. Mm-hmm. No, I totally get where you're, where you're coming from. I think that we need to encourage more people if they do want to run for a position. I think we need to encourage them more to run for positions like city council because city council controls the budget. Uh, those positions are important. I know they're not uh, popular positions to run for because if you work for city council, you still have to have a regular job. Most people yeah. anyway. So it tends to be a less, um, it's a thankless position, I would say. But at the same time, like, if if you do want to start out and get involved in politics in some way, shape, or form, I think that's where you should start. Start in city council. In fact, Iona Presley, who is part of the squad, actually was city councilor here in Boston. And a lot of people don't know that because you don't hear much about her. But that's what you can do more like on the local level. So I think that's a good way to go uh, if you want to do that. But definitely letting you know that in reference to electoral politics, I really believe that the best way for you to really get things done is through the local level. And when it comes to the federal level, Lee Camp talked about this as well. They only really pass things that support corporate interest. That's why a lot of the issues that we're fighting for, that's why they're not even bringing them to the table. And when they do bring them to the table, they don't pass. There were eight Democrats that voted against $15 minimum wage. <laughs> so that that tells you, that, that says something there. Yeah, and speak, speaking locally especially, like, and some of these police budgets, like, my God, um... Some areas have, have what almost almost in the billions in police budgets. Um, my small city is at fifty two million, and I'm kind of reading this summary, and I'm going, wait, you don't think you're trusting the police department to help lower recidivism rates? I I, I read that and went, what? <laughs> I you don't think the community could, you know, could help with that? It, mm-hmm. it that's that's just it's funny, but it's ridiculous. Like it's what what do you need all this money for? What, what where's this really going? Honestly, I think it's going to to militarize the police to give them more gear. I mean, we haven't even seen all of the police equipment yet. I've seen some of the, I've seen some of the equipment that they're making for police. We haven't even seen it all yet. I don't, oh yeah, I know Jimmy did a story about like robot dogs or something like that way back. Oh yeah. Yeah, so, Well, absolutely. I used to work at MIT and there's robot cheetahs. There's all the, all of that type of technology that a lot of people I would say have not seen in the field just yet. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. 
some of it does exist. They just haven't put it out, put it out in the field for people to see yet. <sighs> this money could be going to so much other stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. We, uh. mm-hmm. Well, thanks so much, um, Eric. I want to go ahead to the uh, next caller, but thanks so much for calling in. Appreciate it, Savvy. All righty. Okay, so next up is Colin. All right, Colin, you are on the mic. Hello? Hello? Can you hear us, Colin? I see you're unmuted. This app can be kind of glitchy sometimes. Try uh, muting and unmuting. I also don't know if you're trying to talk in your phone or... <laughs> Saul Good said, unmute Colin on Colin. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, try it one more time, Colin, and then try leaving the room and coming back, and I can invite you in as a speaker. Okay. All right. So we're going to go to the next caller. Next caller is Greg uh, Bruce. All right, Greg, you are on the mic. This is not Greg. This is Sam Cedar. Can you hear me? What? This is Sam Cedar. As you know, one of my peons found one of your videos in which you criticized my celebration of the first black female Supreme Court justice and i had to give you a sam splaining on twitter <laughs> the thing is you're fucking with me quit fucking quit messing with me i'm not mess messing with you i'm sam splaining <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> now, this Supreme Court nominee may have su sided with Lockheed Martin against working people, but you know my opinion of working people. I don't care. And Jimmy Dore is bad. Also, as far as Rokana, he's a fellow liberal, and I would never go against any Democrat because that would hurt MSMEC's feelings. And I don't want to do that because of my crush on Rachel Maddow. And don't tell Emma that I said that, because then she'll stop calling me sugar daddy. <laughs> what is happening? I mean, I must get going because I'm exhausted by from speaking at 10 times my normal speed. But I just wanted to say, Jimmy Dore's bad, and I don't care. 
<laughs> oh my god oh god uh for those of you who may be a little bit confused um yeah so you guys know if you follow me on twitter i clip my videos i'll take like a little two minute clip and i'll put it up on twitter i took a two minute clip from uh the stream that i had where it was sam cedar versus bill maher whatever well, apparently, it came to my attention last night when I was on my way to bed. That's how late it was. Sam Cedar responded to that clip and tried to give me, like, a lecture, basically. I'm a grown-ass woman. <laughs> tried to give me a lecture. He's basically mansplaining to me. It was ridiculous. And I was like, no, dude, you're wrong. You don't, you're, you're wrong about this. And then he came back. And responded again, you have to keep in mind what time it was. I think I went to bed at like maybe just about one o'clock in the morning. He came back and replied to that again. Keep in mind, I've never met him. I don't know him. So this is a little strange. And so I finally told him to go to bed. And so apparently like that thread just kept going today and today. And eventually I didn't even read all of it anymore. Like that's how many people replied. And oh my God, it was so... Uh... This is it's cringe. A lot of people, it's so funny when people attack me on Twitter because I don't read half of that shit. <laughs> but that was funny. That was funny. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and take the next caller. Uh, Edward. You're on the mic, Edward. Oh, I lost Edward. I don't know what happened. Okay, Mason. You are... On the mic. Uh, so you'll need to unmute. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, good. Okay, so what I wanted to bring up is, I know you guys were talking about city councils and stuff recently. And that's something that like I really strongly believe in. Is like, we can have a national campaign, whatever. But like, what happened to Bernie after he lost? Like, it fizzled out, and they could barely get the support back by 2020. And we saw what happened in the 2020 primary. So, like... I guess I feel like my, it's just my personal opinion, but we should be trying to break in on these state and local levels just because I feel like that's a little bit more realistic. And a lot of people say, well, it's way more corrupt at the local level and stuff, but it's also a lot easier to like go around. Like if you're trying to campaign in a state house district, that's very different than campaigning for Senate on a statewide level. Like you have a lot less people that you need to convince. Yes. Yes, I I agree. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I I guess like right now, my area, my county went to Bernie. I live in Michigan and my county went to Bernie. And I'm pretty sure that the margin of the primary would have like if my county went to Hillary, it probably would have swung the state. So it's really bizarre to me to see the people in my county that are in power be so anti left wing. All the Democrats that are in charge, even though my county went to Trump twice, Bernie Sanders probably would have won the county. And like the people that are here and in charge of the Democratic Party here have been around for so long. The lady who's running for state Senate in this newly drawn district that actually favors Democrats for once, her husband was the drain commissioner. And before that, he was the road commissioner. So like and they've all been here for like decades and decades. And like so few people want to vote. So few people want to try. And it's just really disheartening. And I'm not saying that I'm going to be able to do it right away, but. In 2024, I'm going to run for school board. I'll be 18 years old right at the cutoff. That's what I'm going to do because, 
Like, we can't just keep waiting for something to happen. We have to do it ourselves. That's a good point. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up school board as well, because that's another position I feel like people don't pay as much attention to. Um, but it's just as important as the other, like, local positions. And you said, like, your county went to uh, Bernie Sanders in Michigan. Are you – what county are you – are you in Detroit area or? Uh, I'm in Bay County. I live. Okay. So it's like um, north of Saginaw. I don't know if you know where Saginaw is, but it's north of Flint and Saginaw. And it's it's like always been a Democratic county. It went to um, uh, Obama two times and then ended up going to Trump twice because people just didn't feel like getting out to vote. So I don't know. It's, it's a really like a union area, like white working class. Um, the city is like 80% white, but it was like historically Democrat. So like, it was always kind of like a union area and it's shifted away from Mm -hmm. that. And like, as like the, like Trump came, they kind of shifted towards like the right wing. And it it just like, was a really weird shift that happened. And then like our democratic party in our area has flopped so hard after Trump has like showed up. Like we had uh, a state rep who he went from winning by like, uh, seven points in a Trump year uh, while Trump was on the ballot to a few years later having a Republican come in and actually campaign on real substantial issues and win the race because like the Democratic Party was just kind of like business as usual, Trump this, Trump that, we're going to win. And it just like didn't click because people just didn't feel like getting out and voting for those people. And it's the same people that have been there forever. Mm-hmm. And this is what happens when, because sometimes people forget the Democratic Party used to be the the party of the working class. And we haven't seen that in a while. I mean, I haven't seen that since Obama was elected. I mean, to be honest with you, it became like the party of like Wall Street. But yeah, you're right. Like some people just became discouraged. Like Obama won, you know, people who voted for Obama two to- like twice in a row. This is the thing we used to tell people too. We really need to talk to the people who were the, the two time Obama voters that then turned around and voted for Trump. And mm-hmm. so when I hear people say to me that, Oh, well, Trump supporters are all racist. I'm like, really? Have you met all of them? Mm-hmm. All of them are that way. Really? <laughs> what yeah. about the ones who voted for Trump that also voted for Obama? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just think it's really, like, weird. And my area is, like, so like that, so like those Obama to Trump voters. Uh, It was, like, one of those pivot counties and stuff. But it's just, like, it baffles me how, like, Democrats don't change their strategy. They just keep running the same thing over and over again when they know that a progressive would outperform them. Like, the guy that ran for uh, House, he was, like, bashing DSA on Twitter. And I literally, um, I was, like, you were an incumbent. You you won twice in a row. You were running for re-election, and you got smacked because you did the same thing every single time. And it, it's just bizarre that they're like, "Oh yeah, this will work. We've done this forever. It works. It works." But like they know that Bernie did, would have done better than Hillary did. So I, I just don't understand what like this weird loop of like let's just keep running the same thing, and eventually it will change. Like it, it just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> That's a good point. Even mus- like musicians on tour don't fall for that trick. And I, I can give you guys a couple examples. Uh, Prince. I saw Prince in concert about 10 years ago. My friend also saw him in concert, but we didn't go to the same show. After we compared notes, we realized he didn't do the same show 
that he did in my city, in her city. Mm -hmm. They switch up the songs. They switch up the order. They have a different opening, a different closing. They don't always have the same people, the same opening acts as well. So it wasn't exactly the same, but that's good because people don't want to see the same thing over and over and over. You have to switch it up a little bit, but you're right. I think the Democratic Party just follows the same playbook. And honestly, I think they like to lose. Mm -hmm. I I think that like one of the most important things that's often overlooked is we don't try to get those voters who didn't vote in 2016, the 50% of yeah. people in the country that didn't vote. Um, and that's crazy because like, they're like, all oh, those people don't vote anyway. It doesn't matter. Well, they can yeah. vote. Like if you, if you talk to them, maybe they'll vote for you, but they, they just like, they see it as a lost cause and they're like, okay, we gotta, we gotta focus on the liberals. We, we know we got them. And then we got to win some moderates. And that's like their their whole strategy over and over and over again. When like, if you get those 50% of people, even if you get half of the 50%, if you get 25% plus the people that are there hardcore, then you can win. And and it's like, it's so outlandish to them to think that Bernie Sanders would have won because, oh my gosh, he's a socialist. Like, it, it's like, well, you it isn't just like you have to swing the voters that vote. It's there's turnout. Turnout is a huge issue that's always overlooked for some reason. Like if you can increase turnout, it doesn't matter what the people who vote normally what they do, because you have people exactly. who don't normally vote. Vote like it's just I don't know. It's it's crazy to me that it's like it's like insanity because they do the same thing over and over again and they expect different results. Mm, well, well said, uh, Mason. I'm gonna go ahead to the next caller, but thanks so much for calling in. Thank you. All right, Colin, we're going to try this again. You are now the next caller. Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you, yay! Yay, yeah, I figured it out. I had my um, buds connected and I had them out of my ears, so that's why I can, you can hear me initially. So. Oh, you pulled a stabby. <laughs> um, but yeah, real quick, um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but... Uh, regarding Rokana, I'm just kind of like, when I heard it, I'm just kind of, was just like, who cares? Honestly, because mm -hmm. he, you could have, you could put anyone in the squad or actually anyone in the Congressional Progressive Caucus in that same position as Rokana is right now, allegedly. And I wouldn't feel a ways for any single one of them at this point. Um, because they haven't really done anything, I think, to really convince us that, you know, like, they're up for working for the people. But funny enough, like, it's funny because I was thinking around force to vote um, when the whole drama regarding, like, are they going to vote for Nancy Pelosi or not? Or like the uh, Kevin McCarthy, you know, thing, you know, like if, if enough Democrats didn't vote for her, I actually thought about the idea, like granted, we know, we know that Rokana is crap, but I thought about the idea of like, you know, as a squad, they couldn't put them, or at least a congressional caucus, a, um, congressional press caucus couldn't put Rokana up as a possible candidate for speaker of the house. You know, I mean, if they wanted to um, give a little bit more of, I think, of a push for Nancy Pelosi in order to 
um, as leverage. So I actually remember thinking that, like, at that time. But yeah, Rokana is garbage. So it's just, but I think it's just kind of, at this point, you can put in anyone, any member within the Progressive Caucus. And personally, I would feel the same about any one of them, you know? So I think this is a way for, um, you know, for, uh, for Bernie to kind of say, hey, to, you know, like, here's a quote-unquote progressive candidate, but also filling in the identity politics that the Democrats love. You know, he's, you know, a person of color, and, you know, obviously he's Indian, so, you know, that will kind of be a big draw, I think, as far as the media. So I just think it's yeah. just kind of very telling that, you know, like, there he's kind of pushing Rokana esteemly at this point, but I think it's just kind of fitting what other people said before in terms of, you know, like he's pretty much in with the Democratic Party in the sense that he acts progressive enough, but he really is uh, down for capitalism. He's very similar to Warren in a lot of ways, actually. So, um, so yeah, I'm just kind of like, I don't really care. And, and he's not going to do well. So, you know, so, no. uh, yeah, so it's just kind of like, this is an utter waste of time. So I don't see why mm-hmm. Bernie would even bother, um, you know, but I think it's just, you know, his way to kind of, kind of push the progressive thing, go the grift going at this point. But, you know, you don't have really any valid candidates, uh, at least right now, right. Uh, with what we have. So... Yeah. Right. No, that's that's a good point. I mean, I don't think I mean, none of the people that they've mentioned, I could see winning. Right. None of them. Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg. uh, They brought up Hillary Clinton again. And I'm like, what? Like, so (coughs) I don't know. Like, this is well, first of all, do you think Joe Biden will run again? Ah. I've gone back and forth, and I think my mind changes, I think, by the week, honestly. (laughs) I think a lot of it depends on, like, how his health, his mental state gets within the next year or so. I think we'll have a better idea, you know, probably around this time next year. But as of right now, I am tempted to say yes. Um, I think especially given you know, what's going on in Ukraine right now. Um, I think, if anything, it might give him a little bit of a boost, slightly, you know, I mean, among the liberals, you know, to kind of justify the idea of, hey, I'm, you know, you can't get rid of me right now, you know, we're in the middle of a war. So, you know, um, so for that, I think, as of right now, yes, but I think a lot of it also depends on, if his brain turns to mush within the next year. Um, I think only time will tell. But I think as of this point, yeah, I think he will definitely run again, you know? So, um, but yeah, I think it's just, I think again, going back to Bernie for a second, I just think like, it's kind of his way of just kind of throwing us a bone, (laughs) you know, just kind of saying here, like here's a quote unquote progressive candidate that, 
in his mind that we can kind of try and get behind. And but I think, you know, obviously we all know better. And, you know, like, I just feel it's kind of an insult in a sense that they're allegedly putting him up knowing, I think especially like given how many times he's been on Jimmy Dore's show and just how much doublespeak that he makes, you know, just as far as, you know, what he says and then just, uh, but his actions don't necessarily reflect that. So, um, yeah, I just feel like shame mm-hmm. on Bernie, you know, for even putting him up as an option. I would have, you know, just done your time in the Senate and just kind of rest in peace, honestly. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. Well, Colin, thanks so much. Colin, thanks so much for calling in. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Savvy. Have a good night. All right. You too. All right. And I'm going to take our next caller, which is Edward. Yes. uh, Yes, I uh, accidentally hit the the hang-up button last time. Uh, Let me just say, I uh, saw you last night. I've been following you for a while, and I really enjoy what you do. And when you told me that you were going to uh, talk about uh, possibly Ro Connor running for U.S. president, uh, that same night I watched uh, Jimmy Dore, and he had someone from the gray zone uh, questioning Rokana about gas prices and about uh, whether he supports sanctions against Russia, which would increase gas prices. And, of course, he says he's for sanctioning Russia, uh, not buying Russian gas, but he's still for uh, reducing gas prices. And... You just sort of know, I don't know about you, but I just sort of know when a politician is lying to me, and I can tell, you know, he's full of it. I mean, you uh, gas prices are a market function. I mean, you could artificially lower gas prices, I guess, but then you would have shortages of gas. So as far as I'm concerned, he's just, full of it, and um, I don't take him seriously at all. And no doubt he probably voted for the aid package that's going to Ukraine uh, instead of acknowledging the fact that the war in Ukraine is probably just as much the fault of the United States as it is Russia because we insist on making Ukraine part of our orbit, and it's obvious you know, uh, because Ukraine shares such a large border with Russia, why that would be a threat to Russia. Ukraine has always been a traditional invasion route to Russia, and Russia can't afford to have NATO troops on its border, and it's not going to have NATO troops on its border. So so basically, he's in bed completely with the military-industrial complex, he he's total crap as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't even consider him. Now I don't know what you think about this, but the, the one person, uh, she used to be a politician. She's not not in Congress now. But I actually, you know, 
tend to believe most of what she says, and that's Tulsi Gabbard. And if Tulsi Gabbard were to somehow miraculously win the Democratic nomination, I could see going with her. I would prefer she run as an independent, but if she chooses not to do that, I'm okay with going with the Green Party or even going with the Libertarian Party if I have to because I don't want to vote for crooks anymore for president. I'm just done mm. with it. I I don't care for that anymore. And I'm just not going to do it anymore. And I pretty much assume that anyone who, mostly anyone who's a Democrat or Republican is probably a crook at this point. And, you know, the last mm. time... The, the last time I voted a uh, Democrat was in 1988, and that I, that was just after I moved to the Boston, Massachusetts area from Florida. I spent almost Woo-hoo! 32 years of my life in the area where you're sitting right now. I'm very familiar with the Boston area. I last lived in Saugus, but I am calling you now from... Brattleboro, Vermont, where the rent prices aren't so crazy. So I, I can actually afford the rent out here at Brattleboro. So, so anyway, uh, that's pretty, uh, I guess I would only ask you what, what do you think about Tulsi Gabbard? I'm actually trying to see if I can get Tulsi Gabbard to come on. Um, she's, uh, very busy. So, uh, I'm crossing my fingers here. Um, I definitely like her take on no regime change wars. I definitely agree with her on that. I thought that I felt like that was one of her stronger uh, moments of her campaign. I definitely like the fact that a lot of people don't know this, but Tulsi Gabbard also had a reparations plan when she ran for president in 2020. She also had a Medicare for all bill, but her bill was a little bit different from uh, Bernie Sanders. She didn't really get a chance to really talk about all that because they cut her mic. <laughs> a lot of the times, like during the Democratic uh, primary debates, they didn't really want to let her talk, especially after she like chewed out Kamala Harris. Let's just be real. But um, yeah, like I was a really big uh, Bernie supporter. Uh, some of the things that Tosi has said recently uh, strike me to be a bit odd, <laughs> a bit out of character for her. But that's also one of the reasons why I do want to interview her. Um, I do like the fact that the big one is I do like the fact that she's against like the regime change wars. Uh, she served in the military. My dad served in the military. So it would be nice to talk to her to get uh, her perspective on things. And I am curious, like, why she's, uh, you know, she's pretty much in, in in my mind, based on what I've seen, I think she's pretty much left the Democratic Party. Um, I think if she were to run, she should run as an independent or third-party candidate. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm i iffy on, on Tulsi. I think she has some good takes. I think she has some bad takes. Um, but that's where I stand with her right now. Uh, just a bit of mild criticism. I hope you won't take this the wrong way. I saw your interview with Nick Brana, and uh, basically I don't take the sexual allegations against him very seriously. I, I've seen this movie too often. It's getting boring. But what I wish you had concentrated more on than the sexual allegations was the apparent mismanagement of the People's Party. I was expecting to see a People's Party National Founding Convention by now. I was expecting to see 
hopefully at least a dozen candidates running in strategic districts by now, and he's just not making the progress he needs to make. I mean, I was sending a uh, dollar-a-month contribution to the People's Party, and I quit it because I'm just seeing total incompetence by the leadership. I mean, I support the ideals of the People's Party, but I don't see the leadership getting the party anywhere. And right now, I'm preferring the Green Party uh, as, mm-hmm. as a source for my vote. Uh, again, I'm not uh, touching the Democrats or Republicans. Uh, that's not even an issue. But uh, uh, I just wish you'd talk more about the apparent mismanagement uh, that of of the party that I think uh, Nick Brown is possibly guilty of, as opposed. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for that. Um, I have invited him back on to discuss, uh, you know, new video evidence that has surfaced um, recently on Twitter. Um, so hopefully he will be able to come back on and discuss. Um, more in detail what happened with the volunteers, especially now that we have that video evidence. Um, but, but yeah, no, I hear where you're coming from. I think that uh, there's a lot of questions out there and there's a lot that people want, you know, answered. And I think that the more information that he provides, I think the better that will be for the viewers because people really want to know like what happened here, like what, you know, what went wrong. Um, and I, for one, unfortunately I was one of those people where I wasn't at the MPP convention. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't there early on, like some of the other people who are involved. So there are some things that I missed as well, but yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate that criticism. Well, thank you, and I do love the work that you're doing, and I intend to keep on being a viewer and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for calling in. All right, Eric, can I go ahead and take those comments on Rockfin? All right. Thanks for the tip, Roger Meadows on Rockfin. Hey, Sab, you snuck in at 7 p.m. on a Friday. You were supposed to come on at 8 p.m. I missed the first 25 minutes. Bad, Sabby. Rokana, you need to go. Sorry about that, Roger. Thanks for this tip as well. Right to repair stems from, um, oh, sorry, right to repair stems from course, acting like a spoiled child saying, no, you can't repair my equipment, indie mom and pop shop. Only we can open it up. We are not going to supply you with uh, schematics and necessary software to update it. You see, Sab, if mom and pop shops existed, we would hold on to our stuff longer and not buy new things they're selling. Right to repair would make OS open source, allowing for mom and pop to provide customized updates. Yeah, that's good to know. That's good to know. Definitely cool. Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly what it was, what that um, ballot measure was that we had for the mom and pop, excuse me, for the right to repair. 
But I knew it was important because so many people were like, oh my gosh, this is so important that it passes, but it had to deal with uh, auto automobiles. So I'm assuming if I remember correctly, I think it basically meant that you, you could have anyone repair your car. I have to ask my husband about it. There was some rule around it and there was some weird wording and all that kind of stuff. But also on that ballot initiative was also ranked choice voting. And unfortunately that did not pass, but Hey, at least we got it on the ballot. I will say if that ends up on your ballot, if you're in a ballot initiative state, when it comes to ranked choice voting, I would try to explain to people what it really means before they go out and vote, because the reason why most people did not vote yes for it is because they didn't understand the question. Like my husband and I, we understood the question. We did research on it before we even went to vote. So we knew what we were getting ourselves into. But most people I spoke to, they were just like, yeah, I didn't really know what the question meant. So I just said no. And that happens sometimes. And I also think sometimes that's done on purpose. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, I think, is someone trying to message me now? Not now. Yeah. Um, oh, balls. Oh my gosh, I can't say that on call in. I'm so sorry. Jeez. Yeah, so definitely when it comes to ballot initiatives, I think that's important for you guys to like pay close attention to. I really do. Now, I think that, oh, geez. I have this feeling I forgot something. I don't know why I have that feeling. I'm just going to check something really quick to make sure there wasn't something else I forgot to tell you. But I have that feeling I forgot to tell you something. Oh, I remember now. Duh. Uh-huh. Um, tomorrow over at, uh, RBN, we're continuing the third party summit. So tomorrow I will be on at 4 PM Eastern standard time with Steph from the Jimmy door show. We are going to talk to third party candidates. We have a set of questions for them. So definitely check us out for that. And Sunday, come back to revolutionary, excuse me, come back to my channel, Savvy Stabs. I have the ethnic women's panel. We're back at 7 p.m. on Sunday, Eastern Standard Time. We're doing a fun episode. This time we're talking about dating. Definitely come check that out. It should be pretty fun. <laughs> we have some stories to tell you. Uh, private chats. I think two callers way to go. I don't see anybody on the app. I, I don't see anybody waiting to speak. Let me leave the room and come back. Hopefully they'll figure out all these bugs, man. Cause like I had to leave and come back. Okay. I see them now. Thanks so much for letting me know, Eric. All right. Um, this is to a different Eric. You are the next caller. Hey, Sabby. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for taking my call. I joined a little bit late, so I apologize. I didn't get a chance to hear everything, but I wanted to just talk a little bit about Ro Khanna and the Green Party uh, reps that were in CJ's uh, earlier summit meeting. But first with Ro Khanna, he definitely has 
uh, at the beginning of his career to most of us, he would have seen, to me, two years ago, I would have got behind him, really strongly behind him, because it seemed like the like a person that we could get behind. But then as time has gone on, especially even with this latest uh, revealing of himself with Max Blumenthal, you mm-hmm. can't help but say the guy completely is a fraud. And we have to stand behind that interview and we have to continue to use that as a, as a way to show w- what he is. And we shouldn't let up on that because in, in doing what he did, he completely revealed what he's going to do if he gets more power, which is more of the same. So we cannot let, let him pass on that at all. Anything that he does from here on out, he's going to have to prove it back to us with actions and not words. Meaning that if someone like him wants to win back us, people like you know that, that are watching your show, he cannot win us with just words. He has to win us with actions and policies that he actually gets through for us. Otherwise, we should not give him a pass at all. That makes sense. Uh, And then second, uh, as far as the Green Party, the summit guys that were there today, I didn't know one of the, uh, this lady that was on the show, she indicated that they had won 100 seats. I don't know what type of seats, uh, I guess countrywide, but I was sad to hear that we were only finding out about this today. And I think even CJ indicated that he didn't know either. So it just goes to show us that if these, if the Green Party's been doing something good, we don't know anything about that, you know, at all. And I actually went on their website today for both the California Green Party and the Washington State, and they had nothing about the summit. So I just don't think they're doing a good job strategically to market themselves, to position themselves, to promote, you know, the party, the brand, so to speak, so that more people, regular, everyday folk. Can I ask you a question into... really quick, Eric? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Um, why? Why do you think? Because I, I've had that question for quite some time. You know, I've mentioned it to people that have come on here that have ran like third party, you know, campaigns before. Um, Why are they not marketing themselves? Because that's the frustrating part to me. Why are they not getting their names out there? Do you think this is just a, a financial issue or do you feel that they just this is the way that they've always done it and this is what they know? Well, I can answer it to you this way. Just being, uh, you know, I, I hear a lot of people sometimes when they get on these talks and they want to sound very smart. And, and the older that I'm getting, savvy, <laughs> the more that I realize that in order to really make your point, you have to make it simple so that the people listening can understand it without, you know, too big words or just too fancy or, or just making yourself look big. I think the Green Party... It's not connected with us, the people that are actually energetic about doing something. Because I saw it today. They were talking to CJ, and they were glad to talk to him. But they're not in our ecosystem. They somehow have missed becoming part of what's going on today with the left. And, you know, I don't know if that's, that could be just something that they have 
miss just by not acknowledging that we're here and we are not connecting with them. But somehow their leadership has to reach out to us, the people that are, you know, like RBN and other shows that are actually really energizing the ecosystem or the left so that they can become a part of it. Because if they did, we could support them and they can support us, right? And then together, our message, our voices become stronger. Um, right now, we're not together with them. Even though we talk about them, they're not with us. I mean, I'm not saying that they're against us, but they're just not part of what we're doing in this ecosystem uh, that we're sort of creating over the last, you know, maybe 18 to two years. It's really not that long. And so it's there for the taking, like I told you before. A lot of this is here for the taking, but, you know, obviously it's very, uh, it's very, I guess, very delicate what we have right now, meaning that somebody could come in and scoop up our energy if they have the right message, which RBN has, has and with the right people promoting it. So it's here for the taking. It's just we're kind of missing that opportunity, if that makes sense. Okay. Here's what I think is the problem. I think the reason why they may not be with us is because if you look at the past, let's go back to like the Bernie campaigns and all that fun stuff. I think the reason why they're not with us is because they have really not been, their their campaigns have not been included in the left space. And what I mean by that is obviously, you know, mainstream media tries to smear like progressive candidates and left candidates as they're always going to do. They do the same thing to Green Party candidates. But what I notice is that even in left independent media, those candidates, those third party candidates were not brought onto those platforms. It, that is yeah. so odd to me. Like now I think back on it and I don't know why I didn't really pick up on this before, but why is it that people like Howie Hawkins, Jill Stein, and those are just on the federal level, but I'm talking about even some of the ones that ran for like Congress that ran for Senate. Why were they not brought on to those left independent media shows? Why were their campaigns not presented? Why were they not even mentioned? So I think that the fact that both sides are pretty much shunned or smeared by mainstream media, if anything, left independent media should have taken them in. Because if you look at the platform that the Green Party had for 2020, the Green Party had more of a progressive platform than some of the progressive candidates that ran for office. Yes. So it's just... it. That that is such a good point. It's just like they're not given that attention. They're not given that space, and that's that's disappointing. Hopefully, that will change. You know, I I think you're 100 percent right. I think maybe we need to be self aware of us. You know, the, the the independent channels and the listeners that maybe we should have been asking for that to be a part of our uh, what was happening a couple of years ago to include them into this. I think some of it could be that the legacy that the green party has as not, as a non-winner if if that makes sense that that they sort of their moniker is is not uh, equated with winning and so while they're there as a third party you don't i don't want to say you but in general people don't see them as a winning option if that makes sense and maybe in the fact that you know many of the newer uh, channels uh you know, they're very energetic, very dynamic. 
the Green Party, while it had, as you stated, the platform that really would have fitted into what we're trying to do, the Green Party mm-hmm. itself was not seen as a winning option. And, and you know, these were really new channels, all of them, except for a few, you know, Jimmy and, and maybe a few others that were a little bit older. And so there's some of that too, right? Because we're sort of growing and there's a learning curve. I mean, that's the other thing. You know, many of the channels today are going through a learning curve all the while, you know, fighting YouTube. So it's a lot of things sort of pulling at this. And there's no centralized place where we can go other than YouTube as a platform. But, you know, even Jordan from uh, Status Coop, who I don't agree with many times, uh, although I respect him, (laughs) but I don't agree with him a lot sometimes just on some of his takes. He has had that idea that you share, you know, that if all the channels had a place where we could go to where they were collectively, you know, working together and it was more unified, mm-hmm. maybe even that, because, you know, at work, for instance, like if you work in a, in a company and you have various departments, just by the mere fact that you interface with them a little bit, there's synergy that's created by, you know, those instances where you're working with them closely with them. And you also gain other things, right? So if all these channels were in one place sort of working together, they would be much stronger. We don't have that. Uh, you know, in, in some ways, we're sort of missing that, that, you know, unity among the channels. Not that they're all going to say the same thing, but mm-hmm. unity in the sense that, and maybe unity is the wrong term. I, I'm not sure what term we want to give it. Uh, but that would give us, and, and, you know, that would give a flagship for people to say, hey, that's, we could go over there. We can go and listen to this this uh, network or this group of people. We currently don't have that, and so the way that we end up, you know, listening to Savvy is either through someone else. Uh, maybe you, we see you in someone else's channel, and then we kind of stumble, or well, not stumble, but we find about you or others that way. So there's there's a lot of things that are you know there that are not completely uh, ironed out. I guess you could say. Uh, but in, its, in in order to make them structure, you have to really think of these things strategically. And, and to be strategic, it takes planning. It, it takes experience, too, you know. And so and that happens in the background. That's the, that's the kind of work that happens in the background that people would have to do, uh, really think it through. You know, they don't have to be in front of the camera. Uh, when you're a strategic planner, you have to work behind the scenes and sort of command and drive where you know, the ship is sort of going. Uh, and I'm not sure that we have that really. And so, but, but we need that, you know, because the other side has it, you know, the, the people that are making those decisions that make the mainstream media the way it is and that keeps the message unified. Those are people behind the background that are strategically, you know, pulling the gears and saying, don't talk about this, talk about this. Those people we never see, but, but I can assure you they're there behind the backgrounds, making a lot of money, and I'm not saying that we would have to have the people here on our side making a lot of money, but we would have to have people strategically thinking about this because that's part of a winning te- team. You know, you have people in the front like Rome. I love Rome because he's out there. He's doing direct action. And he, he almost reminds me of Tupac sometimes. Uh, yes. Right? <laughs> right. And I love him for that, you know, but I, I can recognize I can never be Rome. That's not me. I could play another role. Well, we need other people behind the background, behind what Rome is doing to be strategic, to push them forward, but to, to support them. 
you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's that's where I think we need more of the strategic planning behind us. So I hear you, man. Well said. Well said. Sorry, I just got another text thing going on. Um, <laughs> I, I hear you. I, I totally hear where you're coming from. And I, I think you're right. Like, um, you know what? You know where people work together that I've noticed? If you notice all the people in on the right with independent yes. media, they work yes. together. Yes, they do. You notice that? They, they, they fall in line with the same message. They yep. literally... They literally follow the same talking points and they will not falter. Like if they, if once they know they have to talk to a point, they stick to it and they just keep pounding on it. You know, mm-hmm. we need to, do, we need to kind of do some of that too. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But, but Aaron, thank, you thank, so much thank, for calling him. thank you so much. Thank you so much. You too. I just want to say there's a lot of Eric's tonight, just like last time. Um, so I want to take the next caller, which is Anthony. Anthony. Hope oh, I hope I did that right. Anthony, can you hear me? I'm gonna um come out and go back in. They really gotta fix this app, man. Hold on. All right, I'm coming back into the room. Maybe it'll switch now. Okay, Anthony, you're listed as a caller. I think you have to unmute. Oh, you disappeared. Let me try it again. Okay, you're listed as a caller now. You just got to unmute. Hey, how's it going? Sorry about the troubles. Yeah, this app is it's pretty buggy, but <laughs> hey, at least at least they got it off just iPhone, so that's it's a plus. And uh, kind of like the Rockfin app, that was pretty pretty buggy for a while too. But they're they're working it out. It's just good to have you know alternatives. How's it going, Sammy? It's going great. How are you? I'm so good. Oh, gosh, it's such an honor to talk to you on this uh, show on this evening. And there's so many good shows going on right now that, you know, door and revolutionary blackout and everything that you want to watch. And there's just not enough time. But so it's an honor. And uh, I know you were talking about a Rokana today, right? And I don't know why they floated that story that he's running for (laughs) president because, uh, this kind of segues into two points I want to make, but he appears on the uh, freaking Tom Hartman show like once every once a month or something and takes calls for an hour. And so uh, he spoke on that show today and he said, I'm not running for president unequivocally. And I hope I wish Bernie would run again. That's what he, <laughs> he wishes Bernie would run again. And he, I'm like, bro, like, that's crazy. Dude's so old. And, but he said he will endorse Joe Biden if he runs too. So he, it's, it's a what? joke. You can't even take it seriously. Yeah, he said all that. Yeah. He will endorse Joe. Oh, my God. He, he wishes Bernie would run, but he is not, apparently, allegedly. <laughs> this guy's a joke, man. This is such a joke. 
Oh, big time. And oh yeah, he's the worst. And I, I called into the program and um, I, uh, I love these programs. Like, uh, I mean, I hate, I hate, you know, the Tom Harmon. It's like, it's uh counter, you know, productive counter revolutionary counter everything. And, uh, but all the congressmen like Mark Pocan and, uh, Rokana, they they go on it all the time, and you, if you kind of if you finesse your way into the call queue, you can ask them a question and kind of get them to got you a moment. And uh, yeah, I even do that with my local uh, NPR radio show here. I hate it; it's neoliberal. They're propagandists, but they have uh, all the right players on, so I call in all the time and just give uh, pitch them a tough question. But so I asked Rokana today about uh you know, the Azov, basically the whole Ukraine situation. I said, hey, you signed a letter in 2019 saying they should be a terrorist organization. How come it doesn't concern you that they're officially a part of the Ukraine government? And uh, Rokana's like, yeah, well, uh, we can't send weapons to them, but uh, it's a it's a big it's a big context. You know, there's there's a bigger picture and uh, it's a messy situation. And because Ukraine's in the fight for its survival. So basically, like, to me, that's just seven ways of saying we got to work with Nazis because Putin's bad. I'm like, I wish, I don't know, it's insane. So that he's lost his mind on the Ukraine situation. Kinda. I think he's lost his credibility, too. But I agree. So you saw the interview with him and Max Blumenthal? Oh, my God. Yeah. Just his body language and the way he was walking. <laughs> he, like Jimmy said, if you, if you were answering the question, you'd stop and talk to him. <laughs> even talk to him. I yeah. don't even know how like, I don't know how Max continued to do that, because like when I when we did broadcast journalism in college, first of all, the equipment is he- maybe it's gotten better nowadays, but the equipment was pretty heavy. So it's like you're trying to like walk fast and catch up to that person at the same time talking in the mic, then passing the mic to them so you can pick up their sound as well. And somewhere behind you or near you is a cameraman and the camera is really heavy. So I don't know how, I don't know how he, how he did it because like Rokana was just like, he was power walking through. <laughs> oh man. Well, I was wondering about who his cameraman was too, because then when I saw he interviewed Massey, it looked like, I don't know, he must've had a tripod or, one of his friends were with him or he had a big selfie stick or something. Cause it didn't look like he was holding the camera with the Massey interview, which I thought happened on the same, you know, time frame. But yeah, I love that. The way uh, I think they call that bird dogging, right? You kind of like pursue these politicians. Really? You stick to them and like, you give them the worst, toughest questions and like just throw it in their face. And I love that. I actually kind of do it too. Um, with, like I said, with all the congressmen, senators, uh, if they ever have an event here at like a union hall and stuff or a town hall, and they, I always go and just try to like, I'll, I'll sit in the back real quiet the whole time and listen to them. And they're talking about boring stuff and build back better. And it's insane. And then at the end, I'll ask a question or I'll go up to them and, uh, you know, I got to. I've gotten to yell at my senators and say, hey, you don't support Medicare for all. It's in the state Democratic Party platform. Why don't you support it? And I got to yell at her. So, you know, it's just kind of yeah. that's kind of activism I'm into. And like I said, calling the shows and giving them real tough questions. And that, that, that actually makes me think of uh, this whole question about electoralism, actually. And I know there's a huge debate. 
And I'm of the opinion that different elections call for different strategies. And, uh, for example, like a general election, uh, of course, we either want to vote for the third party or honestly delegitimize it by not participating. That's pretty much, you know, what we would want for that. that. But let's say we have a statewide, uh, I have a governor's race coming up in my state this year, and uh, it's an incumbent. So she's going to win. She's not running against anyone. She's a shoe-in. But I'll still vote in the Democratic primary. I'm going to write in. I'll write in Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, whatever, just to, you know, detract from the incumbent's percentage. And that's that's in that election, that strategy. And, you know, there's another strategy, another election. So my opinion on electoralism is, yeah, it's pretty much a dead end. It's rigged beyond, you know, saving. But I still like to, like, be really hyper-informed and, like, know every congressperson and every bill and, like, every candidate and, at least in my locality. And that's the best way we can decentralize it. If we're all aware of everything in our state, in our city, then uh, we can kind of share the information amongst each other. And we'll pretty much know all the lies that these Congress people are telling, you know, we'll say, Oh, I heard him say this on this radio show, but then I saw him at a town mm-hmm. hall and he said, yeah. So I, even if we are not into electoralism, I think we should be into it just to be aware. Mm, well said. That's a good point. Thanks so much for calling in, Anthony. You got it. All right. I'm going to read this really quick and then I'm going to go to the next caller because this is about the right to repair. This is what I was trying to tell you guys about. The right to repair initiative in Massachusetts made it so that auto repair shops can access the source code. That's what it was for the diagnostic systems in cars so that auto manufacturers couldn't keep it proprietary. Yes, that's so important. Thank you so much for that, Greg Bruce. Thank you for explaining that. That's why I'm saying like, I was like, I don't know the details, man. I don't know, <laughs> but I just knew it was a big deal. All right. I'm going to take the next caller, which is Donald. Hello, old friend. How are you doing? Seth? Thank you for taking my call. Hey, how are you? Good. Yeah, Lewis Rossman is one of my YouTube heroes. You know, he's the one that's been fighting for right to repair, going to various states to uh, lobby for it. And he went to Congress in D.C. He's, you know, like you, one of my YouTube heroes, you know. And uh, he's great. But back to what you were talking about, I love Max's uh, characterization. He calls him Ro Neocana. <laughs> you know, and I, I think his resume says, uh, U.S. Congressman and Professional Weather Vane. Pretty sure that's what it says. But if I could, I make a comment about, <laughs> about third parties, you know, because we were talking about the third, third party summit and all that. You know, when you think, mm-hmm. if, if, is that on topic? So, you know, the Whig Party became extinct about the same exact time that the Republican Party came into existence. Now, the Republican Party wasn't worried about the Whig Party. They were going to exist no matter what. But you could kind of call the abolitionist, you know, which at the time everything's kind of flip-flop, but the Republican Party, you know, they were essentially going to be a third party. If the Whig Party didn't disband, yep. they would have been a third party. And, you know, and you could look at Andrew Jackson as kind of like a, a early version of Trump or Trump's a later version of Jackson in a way because he was about populism. And he was ruthlessly horrible with the Indians and all that. But he did, in fact, engage 
the, the unwashed masses in the coalition. So in a way, the Democratic Party, you know, I mean, let's let's face it, the Democratic Republicans were a pretty elitist party, Jefferson and the rest of them. So in a way, the Democratic Party itself would have been a third party. So this idea that, oh, a third party can never succeed. There's two examples that our two major parties essentially started out as would-be third parties. And the other thing that people say, oh, but they never win anything. Yeah, but if you look at the socialists and communists, I mean, they were getting millions of votes, uh, you know, in the late 20s and the 30s before FDR took office. They had a huge impact. FDR was a, was a centrist, but he did what he did because politically, I think he really wanted it. He felt that it was important, but he was doing it because he was forced to buy third parties. Go back to the late 1800, you know, late 19th century, the Populist Party, the Follett and the Progressive Party. All these third parties, mm -hmm. if you take all of them away, we wouldn't have what we have today. So I just find it really, you know, learn some history, folks, if you're a modern day person that says, and, you know, I'm talking about true progressives, you know, Kyle Kalinske, a lot of people, oh, man, but third parties, they never, they never win anything. Third parties, including, like I said, you know, you could argue the two major parties, all of the gains we've gotten in history, some of them we didn't maintain, but it was all done, vast majority of it, not within any of the major parties. It was all forced by third party. So I'll leave it there and get your all, get your comment. Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you said that because I don't think a lot of people realize that you really do have to go back and read the history of it, especially when we talk about parties in this country. And if I remember correctly, I haven't double checked this, but I believe Abraham Lincoln, I thought he was technically, technically a third party candidate. I have well, to look that up. He probably must have been because until he ran for president, the Whig party still existed, but he ran for Senate first. I don't think he won. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think you're exactly right. Yeah. So it's like, I think the problem is like, we continue to tell ourselves that third party candidates can't win. So we don't vote for them because we have that notion in our head. Right. So we have to deprogram our minds. Yeah, <laughs> we have to convince again, ourselves that they can. Yeah. And we lose the fact that a party is not a party of one that we, we look at Bernie or we look at AOC yeah, she's the one. No, those people never get it. And believe me, go back to, you know, Marx and go back to, you know, the people that formed these third parties. Yeah, they like to have a leader that could be eloquent, like a W.E.B. Dubois, who was a real deal leader, but they weren't going to get it done. It, it was the parties yep. that got it done. It was the people going out into the streets and educating people and doing the stuff. It wasn't because one leader was great with oratory, you know, I mean, it was right. the parties, and, and we lose that. We just think that, oh, yeah, Bernie's the one. No, it's the party that put in there and the party that's going to, you know, get it done. So I agree with you totally. It's not about, you know, individuals. It's uh, it's the party. It's the masses. <laughs> that's always been the case. And like I say, it's always been the third parties that have, you know, whether, like you said, it's not third party candidates didn't win, but the parties and the force that they, you know, maintained and, and, and diffused throughout the society is what got these changes done. Mm. You're right. That's a good point. It's so frustrating to me when I see like other countries have like four and five and six parties and people here are still so stuck on like the duopoly. Like they don't think there's any other way. And they're like, Oh, but you can only vote for two people on the ballot. And I'm like, there's other people on our ballot too. Don't you see their names? And they're like, Oh yeah, but like, no, like you have to, 
you really have to change your way of thinking and you have to convince yourself that, yes, I do have more options. No, I don't just have to vote for Democrat or Republican. No, I don't have to cheat. I don't have to choose between the lesser of two evils. And I think, you know, hopefully going into 2024, hopefully we can get rid of that phrase because I never really liked that phrase, the lesser of two evils. Like what kind of, what is that? Yeah, it's like saying, well, we're going to drown in five years instead of one year because they're they're not going to flood the zone with more negative stuff for a few more years. So it's just delaying the inevitable. It's not like they're going to change anything. And they never have. If, if exactly. I can throw in one more, you know, one more thing that, of course, the absolutely brilliant, you know, Richard Wolf, no matter who it is, I have some disagreements with most folks, but Chris Hedges and Richard Wolf, it's really hard to find, not that I'm looking to. But they're just so spot on, like 100% of the time. And here's what Richard Wolf said. He was talking about a uh, left wing, like a socialist, like far left party in uh, in Europe. And he was talking. They were in, in. They were an MP. They were in. You know, in the parliament. And they said, "Gee, you know, you guys, you know, you're sticking. You're you're not. You're hurting." And I call. You know, these were. In other words, it was a right winger and a left winger talking. And the left winger said, "You need not not a left, not a right winger, but like a centrist." saying that, yeah, and, you know, we're trying to, you know, it was a centrist. We're trying to do stuff, but you're making it hard because you're trying to drag it on. He said, no, you need us because we don't expect you to adopt our whole far left agenda. But by taking the things that you want, cherry picking it, if you will, then you have us as a foil to say, hey, let's do this before we, so it won't go too far left. Or you. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, I think you cut out there for a second, Donald. I'm going to read this for Marcus really quick. Yeah, you're back. Let me read this really quick. Uh, What we've been thinking with Marcus Cage said FDR's policies were because capitalism would have collapsed. The moment forced him more. Oh, the moment forced him more than anything. Thanks so much for that, uh, Marcus. Okay, go ahead, uh, Donald. Yeah, uh, I know Betsy's waiting, so I'll just say. So if if we had reasonable right wing parties, you know, and I'm I'm a, I'm left of Bernie Sanders even at his best day, and maybe not quite as left as uh, as Richard Wolf, but pretty close. I'd make him my Treasury Secretary if I were you know if I was president. But the idea that if you have right wing parties that are reasonable, not just for coalition purposes, but all the ideas are not left wing ideas. I happen to have a, a, a my Second Amendment uh, you know sensibilities actually is formed by the yuppies i have a sense of it's so far to the left it merges with the right i believe in strong regulation but you know freedom to bear arms or uh something like eminent domain the helo it's a famous case the kilo case where they said no it doesn't have to be for highways we could just say that your house is only one little house we could build us we could take your footprint and we could build a skyscraper and get a lot more tax money so now they say it's okay for capitalist purposes just because of the tax money to go with eminent domain and it was seven to two when we had a five four balance. The two that voted against the eminent domain, you know, expansion were I think it was Alito and uh, and Thomas. It was two of the right wingers. So we need a legitimate right, you know, conservative party because maybe uh, progressives don't always have the best, you know, idea for how to move forward. So I'll leave it there. Mm, well said. Well said. Thanks so much for your call, Donald. Thanks for listening to my jabbering. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to go ahead to the next caller, which is uh, Betsy. And Betsy will be my last caller. 
just looking at the time here. All right, Betsy, you are up next. Oh, I think you have to unmute. Maybe um, try unmuting. Uh, let me see if I can make you a speaker, see if that works. Indy left. Hello, Indy. Greetings on this Friday evening. Oh, Betsy, maybe it's me. Let me um exit and come back in. Don't worry, guys. One day all the bugs will will work out. Let's see. I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did. Let me see. Oh, I clicked on the wrong thing. Okay. Um, okay, Betsy, try it one more time. Um, I invited you to speak. But on my app, it shows you're still muted. Does it show that on your app too, Eric? Oh, Eric has it on the screen. I guess it can just look over here. Um, That was a little bit behind. Yeah, it looks like she's still muted. Um, I know. Sometimes you have to keep hitting that phone and mute button a couple times, Betsy. If you can hear us. Yeah, that is one thing I I think they have to fix. Because sometimes you do have to hit it a couple times. Uh oh, then she gone. She disappeared. Someone hit a thumbs up, so I don't know. All right, sorry, Betsy. Do you want to do some Rockman comments here? A couple. Okay. Thanks so much for the tip, uh, Roger Meadows. On Rockfin, Tulsi is dismissive on issues regarding race. Her reparations plan is just endorsing Sheila Jackson Lee, a damn study. I don't know about that, Roger. Um, One Love said, I think Tulsi should run uh, POTUS as a Republican. She would be the best candidate I think Betsy got in. ever hope for. Thanks Daddy, so much. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Are you there? Oh, I could hear her a second ago. I thought we had I don't... her. Yeah. 
I don't know what happened. Oh no. Um, was that all the Rockfin comments? I just oh. want to make sure. Of course, Roger just gave us another one. Give me a sec. <laughs> Thank you, Roger, though. Oh, sorry Hello? for yawning. You long day. I can hear you. Sabby, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, awesome. Yay. Okay. I left. I, I was, I kept trying to unmute. I was sitting on mute a million times. And then I finally left the room. I hung up, left the room, came back in. And it seems, it seems to have fixed itself. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, how are you doing, Sabs? Doing I'm well doing good. I'm glad it's Friday. Me Friday. too. It was a really long, a long work week. Um, and I missed uh, last week's show and call in because I was out to dinner with a friend who I hadn't seen in uh um, since pre pre Omicron days. Um and so we just had a like a really nice long dinner and it was really really fun, relaxing. But I but it meant I missed your show and call in so I was kinda sad. Um and uh yeah so I do not <laughs> I am not a fan of Roe kind of running for president. Um I admit that I sort of had a like a little bit of a, a political crush on him um, when he was uh, was he like co-chair Bernie's campaign. Um, I saw him at the victory rally in New Hampshire uh, primary day and waved and it was all super fun and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, let me ask you this. What has he done? <laughs> what has he done to deserve the nomination? Um, setting aside for a moment that he is a member of the Democratic Party and, you know, and, and all that stands for, um, I would have far much more respect for him if he left the party. Um, even, even if he wound mm -hmm. up doing what Bernie did and ran, you know, like ran as a Democrat. Uh, it's so funny. I, I feel like I have to correct people all the time when they're like, oh, well, Bernie was... Bernie was a Democrat and blah, blah. I was like, no, he ran for the de Democratic nomination. He never actually became a Democrat of uh, my, my understanding, unless he did just for like a day and then left the party. I, I don't know. But, um, you know, where was where was Ro O'Connor when we needed him to force the vote? Um, how, what about when the vote was super close on funding? Uh, I forget how many millions of dollars uh, for the Capitol Police. Um, he didn't vote no. Um, you know, like he, so, so, right. I, I think that there's other people. Um, and I, I used to think Nina Turner was one of them. I feel like I, I'm not, not as jazzed about her anymore. And she, she's still a member of the party. Like it always comes back to that. And I, you know, totally got what you're saying before, Savvy, about people need to, sort of like reprogram themselves to realize it's okay to vote third party or write in or whatever. And, but it's, it's just really hard because unless you, you need a critical mass of people doing it, right. If not enough people do it, then, then it won't ever happen. And we need things like ranked choice mm -hmm. voting, obviously. Right. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, and, and the other thing is I was thinking what you were saying about how like in, in you know, countries in, you know, other parts of the world in, in like Europe, for example, there you'll have like four, five, six parties, 10 part, you know, 10 parties, what, 20 parties. The, the huge difference, though, is that they have proportional representation when we mm. don't, you know, we don't have that. We, we And I would love I would love for us to have that where you're voting. Maybe you're voting for like someone in your geographic district, but then you're also voting for, you know, kind of like a slate, uh, like maybe nationally, like we've got, say, a socialist slate or something. And then depending on how the vote goes, it would send X number of socialists to Congress for those seats. So it could be a mix of geographic and, you know, uh, national, I don't know what you would call it, representation. Um, but we don't have that. And, and the Democrats and the Republicans are never going to let that happen because they want to be in power. So, yeah, so I, I am a big fat no on Roe. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a no, no on Roe. Um, and it sounds like you probably, you know, I think this was, this could have been some trial balloon or something or something to, you know, boost his ego. I'm not, I'm not really sure how, you know, serious, uh, he was or anybody else was about it. But like, here's this, like, can you imagine him running against Trump? I, I just, I think Trump, if Trump, you know, runs and wins the nomination on the Republican side and Roe somehow won on the Democrat side. Trump would wipe the floor with him. And I say this as somebody who who hates Trump. I grew up in New York. I've known about Trump shenanigans since I was a kid because it was always plastered all over the newspaper. And everybody, you know, I in my family and and friends, we all hated him. So I just mm -hmm. I think I think it's sad, but true that that Biden might be, you know, at half half asleep might be the best chance for a Democrat to be Trump. That's not to say that someone else couldn't do it. And I and I just think that we've got to go big and bold because we are out of time. We're out of time on the mm. climate change. We're out of time, you know, health care costs. I mean, it's it's every everything. Right. It's like we have already passed the breaking point. Um, people not being able to to even having to make a choice now between, gee, do I go to work for for this little extra overtime? But it's actually going to cost me more in gas to get there. Right. Like. And the cost yep. of food. I mean, right? I'm I'm okay. I'm doing. I work from home, so I have no commute. But I see it. I see it in the cost of food. You know, going up and everything. Yeah. And 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 I'm okay. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about you know other other people who are in these precarious situations. And I and how and seeing how the system has failed them again and again. And so yeah, you know, gotta go big and bold and like run someone. Who is a populist? Um, because I, 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 I've given up. I've totally given up on the Democratic Party. It cannot be reformed from within. It can't be taken over. And I, and I've soured on the People's Party. I'm so disgusted by the infighting and treating Nick Brana like he's some, some, you know, uh, prophet or something. It's, it's like the, it's really gross. People like <laughs> people, and I saw him on your show, and I think you. I think you did such a great job, Sabby. Like you, and and I was so glad that he didn't just like leave the interview, like he did with um, uh, what's his face, uh, Jordan. Um, I can't remember, but you know I'm talking about the one he had. I think it was the same day or maybe the day before, uh, Jordan Sheridan, and he just like left because he was so, you know, he was so mad that Jordan was calling him to task. So I just, 
I, I don't, I don't even, I don't even know. I think maybe it's like somebody that who we haven't identified yet, like a, a person, but again, it can't just like with Bernie, it can't be, you know, it sounds, sounds cliche that, you know, not me, us, but I have that, I have that sticker on my car for, for a good reason, because I really believe it. It can't be about mm-hmm. one person. It has to be the movement. But so I think there's going to be someone who emerges and, you know, I, I would do everything that I could to, to try to help that person. I just, you know, we are challenged by the electoral system and how it, how it operates, you know, the winner takes all and it, you know, with, with, except for Maine and Nebraska, but it's, you know, it's kind of a joke. So that's kind of my, my thoughts. I mean, yeah, fine. If Roe wants to do it, like, fine. I think, I think that it's laughable. And, and the other thing I almost forgot to mention was he, correct me if I'm wrong. He represents, he represents Silicon Valley. That's his district. Some like the yep. richest, most disgustingly rich people. And, and it's, it's like, that's the person who would represent. I mean, it, it's, it's so gross. Like it's almost funny, but I think that it's gotta be somebody who comes from, and I'm not saying middle, middle America, but somewhere that's much more in tune with with the reality that most Americans face, because you look at Silicon Valley. I'm sorry, that is not representative by at no, all. No, it's not. America. No. So those are those are you know that's my two cents about it. Um, I, I maybe I sound like bitter or whatever. I mean it. it I am frustrated, and I and I try to do what I can at a super, you know, hyper local level here in Massachusetts and even within, within my little town of 10,000 people. And, and it's really tough and I get burnt out and like, I have to take breaks from it, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, like here in Massachusetts, I mean, like we're, we're, you know, it looks like the party is coronating more Healy for governor. And it's like, oh my God, it makes me so ill. And I like Sonia Chang Diaz. She's still a Democrat, though, at the end of the day. But I, you know, yep. I'm so like, okay, I'm going to support, I'm going to support her. Um, but do you know that, like, so I can't serve, and, I, and I'm kind of done with the People's Party. I cannot serve on the state uh, central committee of the People's Party if I want to, say, collect signatures for someone like Sonia Chang Diaz. Um, it, which, which is, you know, it's fine. It's their rule, whatever. But it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I I don't, I don't see any independents running. I don't think we have a green part, really much of a green party in the state. Uh, if there is an independent running for governor, then I'd be interested. I'd be curious. But mm-hmm. right now, I don't see that, right? So I'm like, I'm going to support Sonia Chang Diaz. The thing is, at the presidential level, right, as you said, we have options. It's not like, gee, I got to right, I got to pick between, um, you know, Ro Khanna and Trump or whoever it is, or Biden and Trump whatever. It's like, we have these other options and we have to make our voices heard. And that's why I I haven't voted for Democrat for president uh, since 2012. I wrote in Bernie in 2016 and I voted, I voted uh, green in 2020. Um, And I know our vote doesn't matter in Massachusetts. So, you know, all these people freaked out and told me it would be my fault if, if Trump won or whatever, you know, like they can kind of, you know, kiss my ass, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, I think it's important to, to do, even if it's symbolic and it doesn't change the outcome to do a protest vote. Like the guy before was, I don't know if he was one of the Eric's or someone was saying before how like he wants, he, he votes in the primary and writes in like Mickey Mouse because he wants to put, keep the, 
the you know percentage lower for the the winner and i and i'm totally i'm for that i think i think writing in an actual person is probably preferable to mickey mouse um if if there is somebody who who would you know consider it um and getting at least you know even if that person got only like one or two percent of the vote it's still it's like something that will be recorded and whereas they throw out mickey mouse so yeah i don't know like i'm just i'm feeling feeling kind of queasy when i heard the news about rokana i was just like my <laughs> reaction was you've got to be kidding me no way <laughs> yeah that got leaked yeah. somehow that definitely got leaked somehow um he yeah. said either uh if biden <laughs> doesn't run again for 2024 or 2028 he might consider but um i do well, want to go ahead and get to the uh the next caller oh, yeah, because sure. um, i just have a little bit of a time crunch tonight so wait, quick, quick question. So he never said if, so if Biden doesn't run, but Kamala does. So he would like, does that mean that he would challenge Kamala? That would be really interesting. He didn't say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good I question. to see that. All right, cool. Good talking to you, Savvy. You too. I will tune in next week for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right, Allison. I am making you the last and final caller. And I actually oh, haven't goodness. figured I, out how to turn off. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I, oh, no, no, you're fine. Uh, I tuned in late. I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that it was almost over. Um, I just wanted to like, so I've been organizing with the green party. I'm just going to show for them for a minute. Um, since 2015, um, I was actually attracted to the green party because it's an international party and a really good Korean, um, friend of mine is an active organizer in the green party. So I checked them out. Um, I also like was involved with the democratic party for a while, um, here in Texas, because again, my vote doesn't matter. So I have a little bit more flexibility, um, because of the winner take all system with being able to vote for third parties, um, and like look at third party candidates. Um, I think the biggest problem is people still keep donating to these, you know, quote unquote, democratic institutions like the Democratic Party um, to their slate of candidates and to people who like say DSA, People's Party, um, a lot of like individual white men, um, you know, who have a, a Twitter platform and for some reason they get really famous. I don't really know why when they're just spouting the same facts that other people have spouted, but that's here nor there. Um, I just hope people going forward have like a more open mind to like what could possibly be in our community. Um, sometimes like the run for president is like a really, really big task, even Cong Congress and like, anyone who actually like charts, like talking, you know, to power, like it becomes dangerous, not just for yourself personally, but for your family, for your contacts and for your future. So like, I really wish we would have more like organized, like, effort to pay organizers to do the work on the ground and to create like learning opportunities and like leadership councils and like literally paying people to take time off work or quit their career to potentially be, you know, forever lost um, because of like, they're actually talking to power. Um, so anyways, I think also on the local level, um, because a lot of city council and like municipality type like elections, um, and also like statewide um, elections. So like if you're like not statewide, if you're say running for your local like like your 
state congress and senate like those are more like low-key positions where usually you need less signatures and less votes to actually win as an independent or you don't need to run on a party line at all um, i think some of our leaders who might be able to move the third party movement are in currently in positions you know in, on in city councils either in small medium or large cities um or they're you know doing like trying to do work within like the government already um i know a lot of people who have done military service are drawn to the cause or people who are retired you know because like they don't have to worry about their next paycheck um or they don't like mm -hmm. they've already you know that's a big thing when you don't have to worry about your next paycheck and you know you have food on the table and a house over your head and you can afford health care you can actually dream big and like think about becoming a candidate but for so many people like that's not even a dream because like you can't you're not even dreaming about next year for yourself personally let alone for the you know the whole of the free world blah, 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 blah. um so again i lastly i just wanted to mention that chris hedges always mentions this all the time that so many of our leaders that are the leaders that could be leaders now and could be leaders in the future um, or political organizers, they are locked up in prison right now on petty charges or for some other bullshit or for a mistake when they did young or for real shit. Like sometimes, you know, people have reasons to do what they do and they get locked up and then their whole future is ruined. Like sometimes they can't even vote. They can't run for office. And even people yep. who say that they are on the left will sometimes stigmatize people who have a criminal record. Um, and I just, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm also like really pessimistic because like, I'm hopeful because we have all the answers, right? Like we know how to fucking organize like people know how to do this like we've just been continuously doing it for capitalism and for the democratic party and for people who show for the democratic party and so um that's my hope i guess going forward and i think the work that all of us individually um and with whoever has platform even if that platform is your 10 friends you know who normally listen to your bullshit um like you know try to think bigger and like like I mean, Brianna Joy Gray does this, you know, great job. I think you, Savvy, and a lot of people on the left have been starting to do this at a really good job. But having these, like, open-ended conversations done in good faith where we can actually, like, tuss apart the different, like, arguments of why we can't have nice things. Um, and I think within those, just, like, good faith you know, discussions and, like, open-ended ideas where we can discuss different things, um, and not just from the point of, like, intellectuals who went and got a PhD and have been doing this for 20 years, you know, but from, like, pe normal people who work at the Amazon warehouse or who are a cook or, like, just do a nurse, people doing real talk who, like, typically don't have time. I think we should be listening more to their stories and seeing if they have, like, you know, because they know what the working class wants more than anything else is people who are in the working class. So, um, sorry, I rambled on way too long. Um, but again, thank you so much for, you know, having these conversations, Sabi, and like for everyone, you know, everyone doing at RBN, like I'm, I'm very thankful that y'all are actually having these kind of discussions in public so people can be inspired to have them at home. Um, so that's it over. Thank you so much. Awesome. Well said, Allison. Thank you so much for calling in. Guys, um, I'm going to go ahead and shout out these super chats and then I'm going to end the uh, segment because I, I just realized it's I'm past time. <laughs> uh, thanks for the super chat, uh, Andrew. The Batman in 4DX was mind blowing. I'm going tomorrow, Andrew. I'm super excited. I'm super pumped. Thanks for the super chat as well. I think Bernie did register as a Democrat in 2020, then left after the primary. 
though I'm not 100% sure. That's interesting. I have to double check that. I'm not sure as well. Guys, it's been a great night. I'm going to read this tip really quick. Uh, thanks so much for the tip on Rockfin Roger Meadows. Screw these parties, Sab. We need to break the U.S. Senate and run a ballot initiative in 24 states to abolish all political parties at every level of government in those states. And then the U.S. Senate will be more reflective of the country where month-to-month Gallup poll counts Democrats and Republicans stay at 20% range and Indies at 40% something. Well said. Thank you so much for that. All right, guys, I got to head out. Thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. I want to go ahead and end the segment on Colin. Thank you so much for joining me tonight.